tonight that old 407 is going to do what it should have done 75 years ago. It's going to take me where I should be. You've just made a wrong turn heading south onto strange highways. Enter Death's waiting room, if you dare. And welcome to Strange Highways. I am Paul, and I'm Kevin. And like, welcome. It's not the it's it's not the Twilight Zone, but we're about to talk about some amazing stories, and I'm excited. Yeah, uh, this is something I'm not too familiar with, so you're going to kind of have to fill in the blanks on this show for me. Um, obviously, I know it was Steven Spielberg's project, but uh, outside of that, I hadn't seen any episodes before this. So this, like, uh, and you're, I don't have much because I was trying to do research for the show, and there isn't a lot out there, and you think there would be because this is a Spielberg-produced series. You're right. Um, so this this lasted for two seasons. NBC agreed to a two-season deal, 45 episodes from 85 to 87, and then it, it just was never a, a ratings hit. Like, like, the quality of the episodes were high, but it's never pulled in the numbers, so they just, they just didn't renew it. So it wasn't sure. because people weren't happy with the output. It's just that for whatever reason, the audiences weren't showing up. Um, Spielberg produced the Twilight Zone, the movie, uh, the, a couple years before this. And I think that kind of got the itch for him to bring back the anthology, but tell like different, like different stories than just the Twilight Zone. Yeah. And he also directed the kick the can segment, correct? Yeah, he did. Was uh, that him? Yeah. I so, think, yeah. and there are a few people that pop up in this that I think were in that segment. Yeah. Um, uh, so, so you can definitely see the lines being drawn between, the Twilight Zone 1980 series, which, uh, thank you again, Paul. Last week was my birthday, and he picked me up the entire 1980 series of Twilight Zone. So um, I'm sure I'll be talking about that because I'm going to try and watch some of the uh, the episodes that are remakes of earlier episodes that we've talked about. I like the idea that you're going to just watch these and then like not tell me, and then you're going to record your own. Like, all right, everybody, we're just going to watch the 80s Twilight Zone without Paul, and this is what's <laughs> going to happen. No, I just I saw it, and I just like. It's hard to it's hard to shop for any media for you. Let's <laughs> let's just be honest, because if if you don't already have it, you're it's already on a list for you. You're going to get it, or you know somebody that has it. So I pretty much figured that you didn't have the Ace Twilight Zone because you would never you would have mentioned it by now. So that's that's why I got it for you. Yeah, I'm pumped though. By the time we finish this uh, podcast, at least through Twilight Zone, I'm going to have the biggest collection of anthology TV shows. <laughs> I think of anyone I know. I looked up. Uh, I looked up the price for the the CW revival one with uh, Forrest Whitaker. It's like yeah. going for like eighty bucks or something, and I'm like, that cannot be cost effective for that series. You know, like yeah, I'll I'll probably run across it at like a Family Dollar or something <laughs> one day. 
well, for like six bucks or something. I'm just curious, and, and not that this is this episode, but one, I'm curious about the age Twilight Zone because, like, when I when I gave it to you, I, I told you I found out that the third season was just produced to get a syndication number. So I wonder about the quality of the third season of that series, and then I wonder. I wonder about the quality of the CW one because I remember watching an episode or two of it. I just don't know if the CW was the target market. I don't think that necessarily speaks to the people behind it. So I don't even know how good that was, but I'm curious. Yeah, I don't I don't think I ever watched any of that when it was on. I remember the like advertisements and stuff for that when they were doing it, but I definitely didn't watch any of it. I mean, to get Forrest Whitaker inv- like interested enough to host every episode, like I mean, he seems like a guy, I mean, I'm not saying that like, you know, he won't say no to a paycheck, but he's in a position in his career that he can kind of pick and choose like opportunities. Like, Hey, do you want to you know be the narrator for like uh, a fifth, like fifth rate cable channel, Twilight Zone revival? He could have said no, you know, but he, he, you know, I he, probably would have said no. So, <laughs> <laughs> well, there must've been a good pitch. Right. So anyway, that's enough about other Twilight Zones. We're talking about amazing stories. I just want to mention, um, so one of the producers of amazing stories, and this will make you very happy, Kevin. And it was Brad Bird, who went on to be one of the heads of Pixar, and he directed The Incredibles. Uh, he also directed Mission Impossible: Ghost Protocol. So there was um, there, yeah. there's like there's other names in here too that were all kind of like either they were up and coming through the system or they were big enough to be associated with this because this series pulled a lot of big names and. Um, not necessarily indicative of these episodes, but we had episodes that we found that like Kevin Costner was in them. Uh, I'm trying to think of some other names. Like there was some known actors at the time that were big enough not to be on TV, but they want to be part of amazing stories. And yeah, that- well, even, even season one, uh, I see like Peter Himes directed an episode, mm-hmm. which he was an amazing action movie director in the eighties and nineties. Um, and his son is as well. His son directed universal soldier four. <laughs> um, just got to drop that of out course. there. Uh, Burt Reynolds, Bob Clark of black Christmas and Christmas story fame, Clint Eastwood, um, Joe Dante, Martin mm-hmm. Scorsese, like big name directors and, and not just like B movie directors like Scorsese and Spielberg directed two, two segments. You know, it's like, that's crazy. Yeah. Paul Bartel, like that's ooh, secret cinema, but that sounds interesting. Um, I see that Mick Garris is the story editor on a lot of this stuff too. So you have, you have yeah. a really good pedigree for the series. You know, um, yeah, even season two. Sorry, Robert yeah. Zemeckis, uh, mm-hmm. Tom Holland, Danny DeVito. Like, that's crazy. Toby Hooper directed the final episode. Yeah. And, and like, and so uh, there's a lot of good here. And I remember at the time when this came on, it was it was a big deal. I was like six or seven. So, I, you know, you, you, the commercials probably caught my attention. The animated intro certainly caught my attention. But I remember like this was supposed to be a big deal, uh, maybe because I was just a kid and didn't know that like, you know, TV will lie to you sometimes about like, things being a big deal or not. <laughs> but I remember this coming on. And then it's kind of one of those things that it was it was there and then it, and it wasn't because it was only there for two seasons. And now when you look back on like, I, I just I don't know why this isn't being brought up more because I feel like just from the two that we watched, um, that there's a lot of good here and I just, yeah. I don't know why this is kind of hidden. Like it's on NBC's website. The first season's free on there. Um, and then the second season you can rent on YouTube. I, I don't know why Hulu doesn't just like, or why NBC doesn't just throw this on Hulu and make a big deal about it. Yeah. Well, I, I like the NBC app is actually pretty, pretty good. Mm-hmm. Um, I downloaded it on the Roku to watch them and, or my fire stick, excuse me. And, uh, it plays the commercials before and then doesn't interrupt the rest of the episode. Good. So uh, it, like it's it's great. Um, but yeah, this this was really exciting because I love early Spielberg, 
And watching, especially this first episode, Ghost Train, that we're going to discuss, was like finding a lost Spielberg movie I hadn't seen before. Like, it has the feel with that, like, big bombastic bombastic, uh, John Williams score Mm -hmm. and everything. Like, it just felt like something... This I just was, completely missed the boat on, and this, it was yeah. exciting to see. This was peak Spielberg. This was a couple years after E.T. Like this yeah, is, I think this was the year after Temple of Doom. Yeah. Um, only, I think, two years after uh, um, Twilight Zone movie. So talk about direct lines from that to this. Yeah, I mean, and when I say peak Spielberg, I guess, I mean, the guy's still making phenomenal movies. Uh, but this was like his, I mean... 80 Spielberg is on like other, you know, other times of his existence, right? So I mean, this was his, Yeah, I'd say yeah. I'd say 80s to mid 90s was yeah. his like great run. Yeah. Um before we had a few I mean, they're decent, but I mean, look <laughs> look at something like he did War Horse, right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, look at something like War Horse compared to um Oh, I'm on his producing page. Uh, I mean to Jaws or Yeah. Uh, Close Encounters of the Third Kind, or E.T., or any of the Indiana Jones, well, Temple of Doom, I mean. Well, there, just, there's this wonder portion of his films, like, where you always inspired, like, awe, right? And yeah. you definitely feel it, and we'll talk about that more in a second. This feels like that kind of, like, you know, there's a magic out there. And and I'm not saying that he doesn't still do, try to do that, um, but he definitely does change his focus. Like, uh, And people would argue that Ready Player One is kind of, like, reaching back to this. I would argue differently, but that's just my own personal opinion. But, he, you know, he still has that sense. Of, there was this awestruckness about this time of his films. And it you can see his excitement for the series enough for him to be like, I'm going to produce this. Not only do that, I'm going to direct the first episode. And this, the other episode we're talking about mummy daddy is based on a story idea of his. So he had a lot, you know, a lot to say, um, in the involvement of the series and how it developed. Yeah. Uh, should we jump in? I'm kind of itching to talk about these here. So So, yeah. Um, uh, first, first episode we're talking about a season one, episode one ghost train. Wouldn't, it wouldn't be strange highways without me just dumping in some weird facts and stuff. Um, so air date, uh, September 29th, 1985, uh, number one song, dire straits, money for nothing. Uh, number one film and you'll love this invasion. USA was the number one film. Uh, and then the previous eight weeks before that, though, was back to the future, a film that Steven Spielberg produced. So with Robert Zemeckis directing, like this is like peak Spielberg, like we, like we said. Yeah. Um, Uh, I would, I would argue invasion USA is a better film. (laughs) (laughs) I I mean, not as much time travel involved though. Uh, no, I, I love back to the future, but, um, you know, you know where my tastes lie. Absolutely. I mean, anytime up, like, well, I mean, both of them have mall, mall destruction in them, but I think invasion USA has much more mall destruction. Uh, story of the day, just to paint the picture as well. New York Times had um, a headline about the, the epidemic of fear about the about AIDS that has swept the country is quote unquote absolutely unnecessary. Three federal scientists responsible for research on the d- disease said. So like they're like it's right. it's not necessary to be worried about AIDS at eighty five. Right. Yeah. Right. Yeah. <laughs> Think about that. So anyway. Um, yeah, uh, story by Steven Spielberg, uh, directed by Steven Spielberg, teleplay by Frank Dees. Um, I don't know if you yeah. looked him up. Uh, yeah, I looked him up. Uh, he had three credits to his name <laughs> did, for writing. Uh, did, I don't know how he landed this gig. But. I don't know. Did you read the, the, cause that one movie he wrote called Josh and Sam, it's S A M. Like it's like supposed to be an acronym. Um, did you read the, the premise of that movie? It's no, it but is, I saw it was uh, rated like 8.3 or something. That doesn't ridiculous. make sense to me. Cause the, the premise is like ridiculous where it's about 
something about brothers driving cross country like young kids, something, something, something. But the one kid tries to convince the other kid that he's a genetic mutant named Sam, which stands for strategically altered mutant. Um, and so it's like one of those, you know, escapism. Oh, no. It's got a five, 5.8. Excuse me. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know where I got that rating from. I yeah. just reversed the numbers, I uh, guess. Perfect. But it's just one of those ones. It's just, it feels like an eighties film where, you know, you have kids like on this cross country adventure without parents. And one of them is like, has a, a like the self delusion. I don't know. That seems like a theme in eighties films. I don't know what it was, but yeah, it's, yeah. A, it's a weird well, sounding uh, movie. The freeze frame on the trailer, uh, on the main page for that film uh, just uh, makes me never want to watch it. <laughs> I gotta look that up. No thanks. All right. Yeah, it's it's just like a kid behind the wheel of a car looking back into the back seat at you, and for some reason it just irks me. Yep, everything like, about this. I don't like it. Not gonna watch it. <laughs> All right. Sorry, Frank D's. I don't think many people watched it, but yeah. No. I thought. Spielberg would have somebody do a teleplay that was like, oh, maybe Frank Darabont or somebody. Nope, Frank D's. So, all right. Um, yeah, uh, music by John maybe, Williams. May, I'm sorry. Maybe he was uh, asking for Frank D, and that's who he got. So, <laughs> Yeah, it's like, good enough. Um, and you probably know Spielberg just wrote it anyway and just put this guy's name on it. Maybe he was helping him out. Uh, but, yeah, music by John Williams. I can say that with confidence. That's John Williams' music. Uh, yes. And, yeah, let's let's get into the cast here. There's... Um, actually a few people in this. Uh, so I don't know if you want to take the lead on cast. Yeah, sure. Yeah. Uh, so probably the biggest name in this one, uh, as far as, um, people that you may know in it, Robert's Blossom plays, uh, Opa Clyde Globe or old pa, whatever you want to yeah. call him. Uh, <laughs> it was weird, but yeah, he, I, I think we, we talked about, I can't remember if it was on or off air last week. He's, uh, he's in Christine. Mm-hmm. He's a guy that sells the car. Um, he's in home alone. He's old man Marley in that, which is, is he the toy shop owner? I've been so I, long. I since think I've he's seen. just the old man that, uh, that Kevin is scared of. I can't remember. Oh, okay. It's been for as well. I, it's been so long. Um, he was also in close encounters of the, the third kind, which is the Spielberg movie. Um, then two episodes of the 1980s twilight zone series and one episode of tales from the dark side, but he was in a ton of stuff. Oh yeah. Like there's there's a lot of people in these two episodes that were just in so many movies. It got to the point where I was like, "All right, all right, you're in everything. Cool." Well, <laughs> and I think also we're getting to actors that are within our our lifetime, like in a way, so we we remember more of their output. So it's hard to pick and choose what are the high points sometimes with these actors. Um, yeah. So yeah, he was also his last film was Quick and the Dead. Just uh, mentioned that he he grew up or sorry he was raised in Cleveland in Shaker Heights. So that was that oh. was interesting, um, and one episode of Spinny Blade Wolf. I mean Airwolf. I just I have to mention that as well. So very recognizable uh, character actor. Yeah. So next up we have Scott Pollan who plays the dad uh, Fenton Globe, which I don't think we ever got his name in the actual episode, mm-hmm. but uh, it was Fenton. So his uh, his biggest movies he was in Teen Wolf. Um, he played Red Skull in Captain America, nineteen ninety. Mm-hmm which I thought was kind of bizarre. He was in one episode of the 1980s Twilight Zone, and then I had to always got to put down uh, one of my picks on people's filmographies. He was in Forbidden World, the Roger Corman-produced sci-fi alien ripoff. Oh, uh, alien ripoff, yeah, you so, say? I might have to check yeah, that out. Yeah, which uh, since uh, on, over on your other podcast, Invasion of the Podcast, you guys are doing ripoffs this year. I, I That's actually a pretty decent one. Hmm. 
I keep going back to the well of alien ripoffs, so I know that there's other movies out there that have been been ripped off, but I'll watch another one, sure, because I love it so much. Um, yeah, just do it for the blog or something. It's it's worth checking out. Yeah. I, I enjoy it quite a bit. I think I own it if you need it. <laughs> Perfect. I like it. Uh, so also, it'd be remiss not to mention that this gentleman was in Turner and Hooch, uh, that amazing Tom Hanks dog cop comedy, whatever, and pump yes. up the volume. So, <laughs> oh, how did I miss that? I like that movie. Oh <laughs> uh, yeah. All right. Uh, and if you've yeah. not seen the '90s Captain America, don't. So that that's what I'll say about it. Okay, that. perfect. Well, we were talking before we got on air tonight that I'm finally going to watch the most recent couple of Captain America. So I guess I'll skip this one before I jump into those. I think you'll be okay. Yeah. Uh, so uh, Scott Pollan doesn't show up in like the uh, the new Avengers movie. <laughs> he <laughs> might. Who knows? You know, like I mean, <laughs> considering like how how big that movie is. I mean, you know, and sure. <laughs> You know, I'm surprised Lou Ferrigno isn't in there as well. Just be in there, you know, but yeah. Oh, man. Oh, some man. Why couldn't the Avengers have happened like 20 years ago? It would have been my favorite movie. Well, Lou Ferrigno was in the Incredible Hulk film, the one with uh, Ed Norton. Um, There's a bit where Ed Norton goes. Yeah, he goes into the college campus and he runs into a security guard and it's Lou Ferrigno and he looks up at him and he has that like brief like look of intimidation and he moves on. So like Lou Ferrigno <laughs> scares, you know, Bruce Banner and the Incredible Actually, Hulk. I don't think I've seen that one. I think I saw the, Ang Lee the one, one before that. Yeah. Yeah, that one's not great. But, you, you know, no. I know I know you're not a comic book guy and this isn't that uh, this the show, but the, the, the Incredible Hulk film was actually pretty good. Like the 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 Marvel one. Um, I think, I think you might dig it because, um, what's his face? Um, oh, from Reservoir Dogs, uh, uh Pulp Fiction. Oh, shoot. Um, oh, um, Mr. Mr. Blue. Um, he's at it. Uh, why is his name blank? I'm blanking on him right now. That, uh, anyway, um, he plays the bad guy. He's, he's really good. I can't remember his name right now. Yeah. This is going to drive me crazy. <laughs> why can I not? Oh, um, I'm going to find it. Me People too. are probably screaming at the radio right now. The radio, um, yeah, because uh, Edward Bunker. Um, uh, are you talking about Michael Madsen? M- not Michael Madsen. He was blonde, wasn't he? Uh, Tim Roth. Mr. He's Mr. Orange. Tim Roth is Mr. Oh, okay. Orange. Yeah, I was going to say yeah. Blue is Edward Bunker, which wasn't okay. Yeah, sorry. Yeah, so uh, Tim Roth is in the Incredible Hulk. He's a good bad guy. So nice. n- enough about <laughs> that's not yeah. that's not it. Anyway, Scott Pollen. Yes. Um, so after that, we have Gail Edwards, who plays uh, Colleen Globe. Uh, again, plays the mother. I don't know if we actually got names. She yeah. I, she was in quite a bit, of, quite a bit. But her biggest role was actually her final role as Vicky on Full House. Yeah, and they brought her yeah. back for this this new Fuller House uh, revival too. Yeah, great, so, good, <laughs> wonderful. Don't care. <laughs> yeah, no. No interest, but I recognized her when I was watching this, and it it had to have been Full House because I hadn't seen a lot of else that she's done, and a lot of it was kind of small roles. Um, Then next up, we have Lucas Haas, who plays the son Brian Globe in this. He was in one episode of the 80s Twilight Zone and one of the CW 2000s Twilight Zone show that we were just talking about. Kind of blew my mind. He is in Mars Attacks. He's the kid with long hair that's trying to save his grandma the entire film. You know, here, here's an admission: I've never seen Mars Attacks. That's uh, oh my god, yeah, Mars Attacks yeah. is fun. I know, it's I not, don't know what it it's is. It's not a great movie, but it is fun. I mean, I've seen, I've seen bits and pieces. I've played the pinball machine. I've just never watched the movie. So. I mean, any movie where you got Jim Brown <laughs> and uh, just running around in a pharaoh costume punching aliens. Okay, I'm in. How how can you not love yeah. that? 
<laughs> um, uh, but he was also the little boy in the horror movie Lady in White from the 80s. Um, and more recently, a uh, great film from a few years ago, The Revenant. Yeah, he was also in uh, 2005's Brick, uh, that Ryan Johnson film with um, oh, Joseph oh, yeah. Gordon-Levitt. Which I just for some reason like Lucas Haas is very recognizable to me, and and he doesn't have he doesn't have a ton of credits like honestly, um, so I, for some reason I thought he was in much more things than he was, but I you know very very recognizable um, uh, actor, and then seeing him here as a kid, he is the prototypical Spielberg big eyed full of wonder kid wearing a baseball hat, so he fits the he fits that perfectly, yeah, I just I, I want to go back and rewatch this now that I found out that he is. Uh, Richie and Mars attacks. <laughs> That's one of my favorite things is, uh, him driving around with his grandmother blasting. Uh, oh, what, what is the, uh, the I'm loving you country song. Oh my God. Well, I, since I've not seen the movie, I have, I don't have a point of reference, so I'm sorry. I'm failing everybody right now. Yeah, it's all right. I'm, and I'm getting, I'm, I guess I'm dying over here because of my lack of a uh, Mars attack knowledge. I'm sorry. <coughs> all right. <laughs> I'm going to find it. <laughs> I, I like that we're so excited to talk about amazing stories. And we're just like, no, yeah, we're right, going to figure right. out every detail of everything that happened. Anyway, otherwise. It's just driving me crazy. But yeah. there's a there's a great country song that they drive around. The country song kills the aliens. Oh, that's like the perfect. big things is that like the yodel in the song. It, the aliens can't handle it and their brains just explode. It's it's hysterical. All right. Anyway, we got Rennie Roker plays Dr. Steel. Um, couldn't really find much about him. Yeah. I don't know if you had anything else. One episode him. of Mission Impossible, the TV series. That's about all I got. Nice. Um, then we have Hugh Gillen, who plays the conductor. He was a character actor, uh, popped up in a ton of things. Uh, he was in Back to the Future 3. I figured I'd mention because it's kind of related to Spielberg. Mm-hmm. Um, he was a sheriff in Psycho 2, Psycho 3, and Elvira, Mistress of the Dark. <laughs> I don't want to bring those up, but it seemed like he played a mayor or a sheriff his entire career. One yeah. of those people. Um, I, I liked, I was looking through uh, his credits. He was in an episode of Knight Rider and then a TV film called The Knight Rider spelled differently. So I, I like that he was in, uh, in both of those. I don't know what the, well, I don't know what the Knight Rider is, but it's definitely not about a talking car. Yeah. We got, got a few more people. Um, I, I just, they're not really in it too much, but I kind of want to bring them up. There's mm-hmm. Sandy Ward as the engineer. Um, we have Drew Barrymore, who actually pops up as a girl on the train. Mm-hmm. So I uh, I didn't even notice her in it, but apparently she was there. And then lastly, we have Priscilla Pointer, who plays a lady on the train as well. And she's in a ton of stuff. She was mm-hmm. in the Twilight Zone movie. One other episode of Amazing Stories. She was in Carrie, uh, Nightmare on Elm Street, Dream Warriors, um, Blue Velvet, which is one of my favorite movies and part of our intro. Um, and she was also in this thing called Twilight Zone, Rod Serling's Lost Classics from the 90s. Yeah, just keep that in mind, folks. I know we just mentioned like 37 other things. We'll get back to that later. Yeah, um, she was also in Chud, too. <laughs> <laughs> Bud the Chud. Yeah. So, yeah. All right. So, yeah, uh, that's your cast. Um, so let's, yeah, let's get into, let's get into the episode here. Um, so it starts off with uh, the Globe family uh, driving in their car, like, what is it, that's, 
with the the sunroof or whatever and the grandfather's is, is he yeah he's standing up in the car right like kind yeah, of just he's like, standing like out of the uh sunroof like like a drunk bride-to-be like you know like poking through a limo and he's just like riding along and they're talking about like hey dad you like the new place we have a downstairs bedroom for you so you don't have to walk up the stairs and and like all this stuff basically you get the idea that he's moving in with them because he's you know he's old enough now that you know he shouldn't be by himself yeah, and don't forget he's uh, bragging about his satellite TV quite a bit. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, <laughs> there's some good payoff with that later. <laughs> um, yeah, so they get they talk about it, and um, you find out that there was some accident years ago, and that the Globes have bought property where this accident was. That they're kind of vague about it at this point, mm-hmm. but uh, they get into it pretty soon in the episode. Um, so they get to the house and everything and the dad's like, please don't tell Brian, the son about this. You're going to give him nightmares and everything. So they get there and the grandpa's walking around and I love, I love all this, uh, interaction between them. He's walking around kind of like putting his hands up in the air, trying to figure out directions and everything. And they're asking him how he likes the house. And he's like, I hate it. <laughs> <laughs> and then he's like, no, 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 no. He's like finest house I've ever seen. But, but he's like, he's basically, he just like, he's just, you could tell he's like, his mind's working. And he realized that he answered, he answered poorly and was like, no, no, the house is nice, but there's other, there, there, we have problems. And like, yeah. The house is nice. I just don't like where it's built. Yeah. I think is what he says or something like that. So, I, I think we we skip to the next morning or something and the moms make a breakfast or something. And uh, you find out that the kid, Brian, is upset because they moved to a new house and everything. And um, like any child is uh, feeling like he's left his whole life behind at the old house. So um, it, this is one of those things with Spielberg's, especially his 80s movies and everything, where they have like such great family dynamic between yeah. everyone. And the fact that this is a 24 minute episode that you're able to get so much out of these people within the story is really impressive. Yeah. And it's, you can tell it's, uh, it's Spielberg. Absolutely. And you have the kid grabbing all the stuff in the kitchen as the mom's making the meal and he's just being a kid and she's like, you know, putting everything back and talking to him. And he's, he's saying that like, you know, all my friends live too far away. I wish we would have stayed in the city. And the mom's like, yeah, just don't tell your dad that or that I agree with you pretty much is what she said. And then <laughs> but um, that's that scene is done almost like uh, you've seen uh, uh, Close Encounters, a third kind, right? Yeah, it's been forever. But yeah, just this, uh, the scene of uh, what's his name, like building the mountain mm-hmm. and like going around and like digging up bushes around the house. Mm-hmm. And there's just like chaos going around, but they're still trying to like have a conversation through it. Yeah, like that's what it kind of reminded me of. And I like that um, that Opa was like sneaking in the background and basically telling like, you know, telling the kid like, you know, just be quiet. I'm going to sneak outside. Cause he was like, why can't grandpa come out to play? And she's like, well, he, it's, the mom's like, he's like eight times older than you. So he needs like, like basically like all the rest in the world. He can't be bothered to be outside. It was something like he's old. He needs sleep is what she was basically telling him. And then the grandpa sneaks out and the kid runs off with them out to the, the field. Yeah. So while they're out there, um, they're talking about like Native Americans and everything, but as they're talking, the grandpa finds a railroad spike and he starts telling them about a train that ran off its tracks in this area called the Highball Express. And um, as as he's walking around, they're trying to figure out which direction the tracks ran. He ends up finding a piece of the tracks and he kneels down and puts his ear to it. And a great 
acting at this point because mm-hmm. you you don't really hear anything as a viewer, but you can tell that something is happening and that uh, old pa is hearing something at this point. Yeah, and there's that nice slow push in on his face as he's listening to the the rail. Um, and, and there was they also find like an old uh, part of a signal, and there's a water tower still standing. Like there's a lot of things here. I have questions about when we get to the end. Um, yeah. but, but yeah, you know, so he's telling this kid all about this and, and then when they find the railroad spike, he goes on a little bit about it. And then, um, as, um, he's looking up at the water tower, it transitions to a toy train of, uh, in, in the kid's bedroom, which I, I love, I love transitions like this, where it's the juxtaposition of the real world with like going into miniature. So you see this little tiny train going around the tracks and then it goes off the tracks like immediately. Cause you know, that's yeah. what you do. Um, Almost as good as, uh, the execution scene in, uh, Twilight Zone, where he's talking about uh, going to the uh, the chair and then switching to the <laughs> yeah. brisket being pulled out of the oven. <laughs> Absolutely. Uh, so then, at that point, that's whenever uh, the kid asks Opa, like, "What happened?" And you, you get the whole story about what happened with the Highball Express and um, uh, Roberts uh, Roberts Blossom. His delivery here and the story of what happened is just, it's, it's amazing. Like, and not to, you know, use the name of the show, but it, it's haunting and you buy it. Like he gives a very, like you're, you're in when he tells the story of, of his, of how he inadvertently causes horrible train wreck to happen. Yeah. And I love, cause it gets more and more emotional as he goes on. Cause it starts out just kind of matter of fact about a kid waiting for a train. His grandpa's coming to pick him up and, um, he puts his ear down on the track to hear the train and ends up falling asleep on the tracks. So when the train's coming, the brakeman locked the wheels so he wouldn't run over this child and the tracks tore up and the train crashed and everybody on that train died. And uh, you find out that it was uh, uh, the grandpa that was on the track sleeping. And um, yeah, as he goes through that story, just how he gets more and more emotional, but still like holding it together in front of the in front of Brian. Like it's it's great. It's yeah. really compelling stuff. And it, like I said, this just feels like classic Spielberg that I just missed out on all these years. <laughs> and it was so exciting to see something I hadn't seen from him. When I like that, uh, Opa was like, all right, well, we don't have much time. Save what you can. What would you like to save for, you know, most? And then the kid, yeah. he's just like, I'd, I'd save you, Grandpa. And it's like, God damn it. Like, don't, just don't punch me in the emotions already again. But like, he's grabbing stuff out of the room because he's basically implying that like where this house is, is in, like most of it's in the direct line of this train so he, yeah. he you know he's like we got to get like most of the valuables out of here and in the meantime the father um well i guess uh what's his name fenton was listening through the door as his father tells his, his grandson the story so like so fenton's already he's aware that that you know his father is bothered by being here and even though he told him not to tell his grandson the story of the train that they built the house on the, the, the there's problems with that we'll get to that at the end um yeah, yeah. He, he he it's it's happening already you know like he's already telling him everything um so the family is aware that uh opa it believes that that the train's coming yeah and then we have one of my favorite things which is why i brought up the satellite tv thing at the beginning yes. He's he's outside spray painting the path of where the train is going to be coming and it goes right through where the big satellite is and he kind of he's spray painting the grass and then he gets to that. He kind of looks at it and then just spray paints a line across it. Yes, <laughs> it's fantastic. And then he goes up to the uh, house. This is brand new house that was like, you know, and he just starts spray painting up like an edge along it. And, and it's like and the sun comes out and starts talking to him or his son, I should say. 
And it's like, again, you mentioned Richard Dreyfus with the bushes. It's, it's, it's so matter of fact of just like, oh, no, I'm just, I'm just draw the path, the line of where the train's coming. Like, there's no, like, it's, it's, it's reality for him. And the son's still talking to his dad, like trying to have a rational conversation while this guy's spray painting everything. I liked it. Yeah. So that, they bring him inside. And uh, at that point, they had called the doctor to come and uh, talk to him. And uh, they end up, as he's explaining everything, he pulls like a, tic- a train ticket out of his pocket and shows that he still has his ticket to board. Um, the doctor ends up giving him a sedative to calm him down. Not and just I that, love, he, he sneaks it. It happens so quick while he's talking. Uh, he thinks it's like a bee sting yeah. or something. He, he said, what was that? Some damn yellow jacket? And he's like... <laughs> It's just so fast. The doctor, you know, just gives him a sedative and he was like, no, you won't miss your train. You'll, you'll sleep through the night. He's like, no, it's coming tonight. And they, they get him, they just get him to his bed. And then the sun. Well, I love, I love there's that great shot of the, of Brian's reaction, yeah. the child like standing there and you see him struggling with, uh, the dad and the doctor and the silhouette um, of the lamp knocked yeah, over it's just in the like shadows. shadows on the wall behind the kid. It's, it's a great way to do it without showing any like, physicality in the episode it, for some um, reason it reminded me of et with the guys in the suits i know it's not exactly the same thing but it's that whole like it's it's giving a different perspective and there's a lot of a lot of bright lighting and silhouettes in this episode and it just it it very it much just, yeah i i feel like it's more uh more effective seeing brian's reaction than yeah. actually seeing them like like fighting with him to take him away Absolutely. into the bedroom but yeah, they get they get him in the bedroom, and then the, the son yells at the doctor, like it gets him to leave. I mean, which I get it. It's like you're you're already struggling. Here's your father, who you know you're trying to give him like a, a better life in terms of like a, a more comfortable life, and you go to all these links, and then the very first night he's home with you guys, he's going on about this train, and you have to sedate him. So of course you're gonna snap at the doctor, but it's so fast that the doctor just leaves. You know, like I'm out. Yeah. You know, he's like, thank you for your drugs. Go, just leave, please. Um, so yeah, then that, so everybody goes to sleep, right. And, and then the sun's up in his room, uh, with the, with the, the tiny, the miniature railroad track and he puts his ears to it, which is great. That's another great, like, you know, comparison shot. And the camera slowly pushes it on him as if it's a train coming down the track towards his face. And yeah, then you start, but yeah. At, at this point, I mean, call him back to the original, at this point you actually hear the rumbling mm-hmm. start of the train in the distance. Yeah. And then you start hearing the whistle coming in the distance and then just everything with the light flashing through the window and the wind blowing the curtains and everything like, Oh man, this is Spielberg at his finest. Absolutely, (laughs) I love it. Um, Um, Yeah. It just, it feels so magical at this point. I, I absolutely love it. And I got a thing for ghost trains. I don't know what it is. Like, no, it's, no, it's, it's so uh, cool. no, it is cool. And I, I guess I'll just say now. So where I grew up, um, there was a previous rail line that went through our area. Um, and then they built uh, a dam. So for like an artificial lake. So they had to cut down. They, 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 they shut down these lines. So every so often when we'd be mowing the lawn or, or doing stuff in our yard, we would find railroad spikes and those spike plates. They put the four spikes on. We would find the stuff in our yard from a, a railroad line that ran through it. So it is very, this episode kind of was like, it, it's like one of those things growing up and finding this stuff and then watching it again. You're like, crap, you know, like, so, um, this could have been my house, <laughs> <laughs> but then every so often, whenever uh, the lake, uh, would, um, get like low during the winter or whatever, you'd actually see remnants of this, uh, of other foundations and of this train line 
So yeah, oh, wow, that's, the, that's really cool. The idea of what once was right is always that's always going to be be interesting. And ghost trains are kind of cool because it's like a train only goes one direction, right? And like the idea of this thing is like it's coming and and yeah. it's I, yeah I it it's I, very, I always. Uh, the, the sound of a train in the distance too for some reason ha- it's always been kind of eerie to me yeah like, I, I don't know what it is um and this just with the wind blowing and just hearing that rumbling in the distance and everything it was really ominous and uh it wasn't necessarily like scary but it, it had an atmosphere to it as it was coming and um so Brian starts screaming and everything and he wakes up the parents. The house starts shaking. I love there's the scene of the parents getting out of the bed falling out of and they bed. show the mom falling <laughs> as she gets out. I was like, out of all the shots they had of them probably rushing out of bed, like they use that one of her like face planning out of bed. It was like a couple of zombies getting out of bed. I loved it. They're just like, what? <laughs> and then like they're coming down the stairs and it's like, and the kid, he's looking out the window directly at the, like, it looks like the lights right on them. Right. And the floorboards yeah. are like shaking in the house and all the stuff. Oh, rattling. I love the floorboards. Yeah. It's so exaggerated how they're all coming apart and they're coming up like six inches. Yeah. It's great. It's not just like a rumbling or a shaking or anything like these boards are flying up and down below their feet. It's, it's great. <laughs> I, it, one thing, the dad, uh, Scott Paulin in this, his response when they first come downstairs and see the train coming at the house, he does this like, Oh my God, no <laughs> delivery. It's like the worst line delivery I've ever yeah. seen. Like I, I knew what he was going for. Like that kind of just like, I can't, I can't even believe I'm seeing this reaction. Yeah. But it, it comes off as almost like a troll two delivery. It was like, so Oh my God. And like, yeah, it was very, just like, it was very, uh, he was trying to go for like that. I'm in shock, but it came yeah, off very like, comedic, like, like, I can't yeah. believe this is happening yeah. thing, you know? <laughs> uh, but it does not, it's terrible. <laughs> it's fine. Though. Um, so yeah. And at that point, uh, they all jump out of the way and everything. And the train comes through the living room and the scope of what they did in this episode is so impressive. Like they have a train come through a living room in this. Yeah. It's, it's so cool. Well, I like it. Whenever Opa looks at his son and like, they're walking through the kitchen. He's like, I wouldn't stand there if I was you. And he, and, and he's getting yeah. ready. He's like, you know, like, 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 like making, like tucking his shirt in or whatever and getting everything. Like he's ready to get on this train. And it's like, it's, it's so matter of fact, I love that he's just like it's the it, this this is happening. You don't want to be here. I love right before yeah. the train crash through. He's like, you probably don't want to be standing here. And then they just wait for the train. <laughs> like, it's so, like he underplays it so well versus like yeah. you know the exaggeration of the situation. I liked it, but yeah, yeah. The, the train. But just yeah. the scope though, like with this, like that train looks real. Yeah, like the the all of the uh, the house coming apart and everything looks so real. And with that. That uh, amazing John Williams score and everything. This just felt so big. Yeah, it was it was incredible. Like I said, it was just it was like a long lost Spielberg movie I had never seen before, and it just it made me so happy watching this. Yeah. So then, train comes to a stop. Um, you have it, it's the Highball Express, like what was talked about years before. Everybody's wearing like you know period specific costumes, not costumes, outfits because that's what they were wearing when the t- train derailed. And uh, Opa's about to get on, and he doesn't have his ticket. And then, you, and the the grandson hands him the ticket. Um, and basically, you know, he's saying to his, his grandson, he's like, "This, you know, basically, I have to go. This is this is the train I've been waiting for all my life." 
Um, in the meantime, though, I just want to mention that some of the crew gets off the train and start wandering around the house. And it's 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 funny, but it's also like, wait, are they are they ghosts? Because if they're ghosts, why are they stealing shit? Like, I don't understand. Like, they're just kind of poking around. And it's 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 funny. And I won't trade it for anything. It just doesn't make any sense. But I loved it, though. Yeah, no, I, I love how the the one guy goes in the fridge and starts taking like soda. And the other guy's like baffled by a coffee maker, but still takes the coffee. <laughs> yeah, it's like the, he picks. He up knows the, how to use it. He <laughs> it's the Mister Coffee machine. Uh, um, the soda. But yeah, like, it does. It does bring up the question: like, why don't the people on the train just get off then? <laughs> like, would that mean that they're alive again? Like, if yeah, they I just don't get know. Off, I don't know. Do they do they need uh, Mr. Coffee? Do they need Pepsi? I don't understand. But I love it. The one guy just shakes. He's like, sounds wet. We'll take it. Like, we're just going <laughs> to steal stuff. And then the, the engineer says to the family, like, you know, sorry about your house, but you knew the train was coming. <laughs> was like, yeah. you know, like, or he, he says something about, like, sorry about your house, but you probably shouldn't build a uh, house right on the train line or something like yeah. that. <laughs> Oh yeah, uh, it was funny. I I do love the imagery of all the ghosts looking out the window at them, and there's like that green glow behind them and yeah. everything, and the fog. It just it's got such a great look. So I got to be I would be remiss if I didn't mention whenever Opa says goodbye to his grandson. What was up with that mouth kiss between the both of them? Like it was a straight on lip to lip mouth kiss. Of, <laughs> like I it's 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 a grandfather saying goodbye to his grandson. It's a sweet moment. It just I was like, why is there a mouth kiss going on right now? <laughs> yeah, I don't know. No answers. <laughs> I don't want to talk about it. Yeah, uh, <laughs> but I but I like how Opa gets on the train and he said, "Hey, um, you know, my mind has always been like a steel trap, basically telling his son, I I knew what I was talking about. Like, <laughs> yeah, he shouldn't have doubted me. <laughs> yeah. Um, and then you know, and then the train goes away, and then basically the husband and wife are like, "Who's our insurance, you know, carrier?" And then the background, of course, timed perfectly are three different sparks that go off just to show that this house is in serious need of repair because a train just ran through it. Yeah. 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 That's that's it. Yeah. Like really fun episode. Pretty simplistic. But uh, I, I mean, it, it's it's a great way to do like a family friendly way of dealing with death. You know, it's it's. And that's what I love with Spielberg is that he's able to take these pretty simplistic stories and just add just enough depth with them that you're able to present them to kids and you don't have to dumb them down. No, no, not at all. You know, and it, it, death is a hard thing to deal with to talk to kids about, you know, to explain it. And this was such a just magical way to of dealing with loss and dealing with old age and everything. It was it was great. Yeah, I just it was um, it was fun to get back to this. I just I for whatever reason, I remembered the two things I remember about about this episode when I was a kid was him spray painting the satellite dish. And I remembered the the, the one conductor stealing the Pepsi out of the fridge. Those are the two things I remembered about (laughs) the episode. Um, Yeah, I mean, just think about like this is uh, you talk about the train going through like there's there's money spent on this episode. And I feel like. This is the kind of stuff, Not, I mean, to tie it back in the Twilight Zone, you get the idea that, like, Serling would have done this if he could have, you know? And this this one feels kind of Twilight Zone-ish in the sense of that there was a tragedy and that there is, you know, a sense of loss, and now there is a, re- a fantastical resolution. Um, I just make, it makes me wonder how they would have pulled off the same the same idea back in the 60s, you know? Like, because uh, this, this, this does feel like Spielberg paying homage to the lighter side of the Twilight Zone. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It probably wouldn't have come through the house. Twilight Zone. <laughs> I could, t- I could tell you that. But um, 
Yeah, and just uh, the one character in the, the whole episode, you kind of play it like, is he telling the truth? Is he crazy? You know, how many yeah. episodes have we seen just in the two seasons of Twilight Zone we cover where that's the, what they're dealing with? And um, they do it so well in this. Yeah. And but but my but, my, my big lingering question is, if you're the son that buys this property, knowing that your father uh, had you know survived a horrific incident in which he is inadvertently responsible for the deaths of countless people on this train, because we don't know how how long yeah, the train was, and then he's uh, he's still haunted by to yeah, this day, like his, like yeah. he's on he's still like when he tells the story, you can tell that this has never left the front of his mind yeah and then, like and and then you, for <laughs> 70 years or how long it's been so you buy this land and then you you don't even take down the remnants of the accident like you leave the signal you leave the water tower you leave the rails lying around you know like you would think that it's like okay you know i got a good deal on this land because people don't want to build here because they remember the highball express that my father inadvertently caused that's fine <laughs> let me just remove all remnants of the train so that way he doesn't put his ear down anything you know because who knows and then it's like also you have this huge plot of land it was a huge plot of land and you build your house in the direct line of where this train would have been you would have known this you know, I feel like that's one of those things where it's like you're egging your father on to have a reaction. That's what it felt like to me. Yeah. Yeah. But it's one of those things where I was I was able to just overlook it just because it's such a fantastic story. Not yeah. in the way of like it, it is a good story, but like a fantastical story, you know, um, it's it, it it's one of those things you just kind of have to overlook <laughs> to yeah. enjoy. But I don't think it necessarily hurts the viewing of this episode. No, no, it's just one of those things that after after you start analyzing it, like we do, it's one of those things that kind of comes to your mind. Like, hold on, like, yeah, don't tell him to not talk about this if you bought this house on the (laughs) land. (laughs) Obviously, he's going to talk about it when he finds out that it's the exact spot. Yeah, it's like, where's the new house at, honey? It's 555 Highball Tragedy Lane. Oh, (laughs) let me tell you about. Like, it's just what you know. It's just. He just has like uh, news stories framed up on the wall about it and everything. Just like don't don't talk, talk about, about it. it. Yeah. <laughs> oh, I mean, so yeah. I mean, uh, realistic it's still, logic. It's still really fun uh, yeah. viewing, but yeah, there are some logistical problems with the story. Yeah, that's why it makes it an amazing story, not a real story. That that's a that's a way different TV show. So, <laughs> but yeah, that's a this is a good. Like I know when we talked about what to watch for this, you was like you're like I want to watch the first one. Why not? Just kind of see what the tone is for the series. Yeah, and and, it, and it, I think this does encapsulate it. You know, it's like it is. It's going to show you things that you probably have never seen in a TV show before. Like these are amazing stories, and this was good. And this this made me excited to watch the next episode we were going to talk about. And it kind of makes me want to go back and watch all of season one since it's right there. And it's like, no, and, I know. Yeah, I feel like I could blow through it so quickly. Yeah. Um, and actually, a couple of the episodes actually were nominated for uh, Emmys as well. Like, there's one in like the first few, the f- like first four or five, that actually ended up winning awards for the writing. Yeah, it says nominated for twelve Emmys and won five. That's that's impressive. Yeah, and the show didn't get picked up for <laughs> after two seasons. <laughs> you know, that sucks. But so yeah, Ghost Train, good, a good episode, regardless of how vindictive yeah. that son secretly is towards his father. But whatever. Yeah, it, it's pretty simplistic and everything. Like, it's not going to blow your mind as far as storytelling or anything but it's it's a solid 25 minute uh tv show like it it's very solid but just what what he accomplished on like 
scope of this episode and everything. And if you're a fan of like this era Spielberg, it's it's a much must watch. It's it's almost like a distillation of what he's known for. You know, it's like this is like if you want yeah, to show it's like, just like a perfect little 25 minute like best of uh, early Spielberg. Mm-hmm. Like, this is it. <laughs> yeah, it was good. But it's like I said, it's not going to blow your mind. Like, it's not like master storytelling or anything. It's it's pretty simplistic, but you can see you can see the genius of his craft come through in this. Yeah. And, just and the, I, yeah. I don't believe for a second that Spielberg did not write the teleplay. For this. <laughs> <laughs> like, I don't know who this Frank D's guy is, but I do not believe for a second that he wrote this. Yeah. This this just has like this has the fam or like the dinner sequence from Jaws all over it. It has all the family stuff from E.T. all over it. It has all the Richard Dreyfus going crazy stuff from like it, it's it's all of those scenes put into this episode. Like I don't believe for a second that Frank Dees wrote this. Do you think Frank Dees and Toby Hooper ever hung out and been like that Spielberg guy, right? Like yeah. yeah. <laughs> Yeah, especially after like poltergeist <laughs> it's like it's like just you know he hires you and then you get paid and then you get credit but you don't really know what happened you know let's I, I know there's the argument about how much toby hooper did with poltergeist i know that's kind yeah. of still left up in the air but hey it's yeah. probably a good payday so oh I've, yeah and I'd, Pol- I'd let spielberg uh do work for me if yeah. i could just sit around if, and if hang I, out with if, him if i can like, get a teleplay credit and just kick my feet up and be like yeah what'd you write i wrote it happened with people I'm like cool all right yeah. there's your money <laughs> You know, I'm just, awesome. the name Fenton has to be in there somewhere. That's my only, it's a deal breaker if it doesn't happen. So, all right. Anyway. Yeah, I, I feel like the names, uh, that was all Frank D's. <laughs> yeah. Fenton and Jolene Globe and Opa Clyde Globe. Opa. Like, uh, yeah. I mean, I get it. Like, I mean, everybody has like that, like that familial, like nickname for their grandparents. Right. I just, yeah. o- Opa, I, whatever. That's fine. I mean, anything works, I guess. Right. So, um, yeah, anyway, good episode. That was a lot of fun. I'm glad I got to go back and watch that, and I'm glad that we decided to give Amazing Stories a chance. Um, but I cannot wait to talk about this next one. This is the one that I've been waiting like two weeks to talk to you about. Um, so yeah, let me let me just play the, the little intro for what I have here for Mummy Daddy, and then we'll talk about it. Cool. All of a sudden, this thing here, well, the creature was full of bandages, you know, and fire's coming out of his eyes. Bull Pucky! He come out of my TV and he started guzzling down on lead. It weren't none of those things. It was raw and caught the mummy. All right, so yeah, <laughs> Brian James. The moment I saw his name show up, I was like, "Oh crap!" I'm so excited. Um, season one, episode four, Mummy Daddy. Um, we'll just run through this here. Ten twenty-seven eighty-five air date. Uh, number one song, "Saving All My Love for You," Whitney Houston. Uh, number one film is Jagged Edge. I don't know anything about it. It was directed by Richard Marquand, the guy who did Return of the Jedi. His last film, by the way. Um, and then the same day, the Kansas City Royals won the World Series in a Game 7. So, a pretty exciting day for baseball. Um, yeah. I just want to go back in time and watch this on Octo- October 27th, 1985, on Halloween weekend. Yeah. And see a bunch of rednecks chasing down a mummy. <laughs> like... <laughs> This is stuff that's not on TV anymore, and I'm no, upset about it. No, <laughs> um, and then also just uh, like was it nine days earlier the the NES was released in the US, so that gives yeah. you what a great time. Yeah, I mean we're not talking about AIDS anymore, talking about Nintendo, you know. So all right, um, but yeah, so this episode was directed by William Deere, um, who um, he, he did a he did a lot. It just uh, the weird, weird career. Like he directed Angels in the Outfield, the, the ninety four one. He directed Harry and the Hendersons. 
Um, and he also uh, wrote and directed 1982's Time Rider. Have you have you seen that film? I know you've seen the poster. I'm sure you've seen the poster for Time Rider. Does that also have Brian James in it? Yes. Which is funny because it's like Blade Runner and Time Rider. Yeah. <laughs> like, <laughs> that's funny. Yeah. No, I, I'm not familiar with that movie. This, the, okay, I'm going, to tell, I'm going to give you the description. So it's Time Rider, The Adventures of Lyle Swan. I, names in the 80s. Um, here's the description. A maverick motorbike racer wanders into a top secret time travel research test site, which unintentionally teleports him to the mid 1800s. And he ends up having to fight violent outlaws for his survival. I'm watching this movie. This is, this is everything. This is, this is my life. This is the film I need. I've been living my life up to this point to watch time Rider, And the name is so great. It's like, I got a motorcycle that fights outlaws in the 1800s. That's I I'm down. Yeah, it's a sweet poster too. Yeah, it is. It's probably a terrible film because if it wasn't, if it was better, people would talk about it more. Um, but ah, he, yeah, I mean, we'll see. <laughs> I'm I'm sure I'm sure I'll get some people together. We'll watch Time Rider, and we will not be disappointed. Let's see. I got to see the general consensus on this. Yeah, it's, it looks middle of the road. <laughs> uh, and then also, he got a story credit for the Rocketeer, the the film The Rocketeer, which that's. That movie um, is, is is better than you remember it being. It's actually a pretty fun little film. Well, I loved it when I was a kid. I It's one of those things I'm always like, I should go back and revisit that. And I'm scared because I feel like it won't hold up. But um, seen a few people talking about that recently. I don't know why. <laughs> yeah, it, it's I mean, well, they're also I think they're talking about not I don't know if they're going to do a movie sequel. I know Disney's going to do something with the franchise again, which why they why not? Because they're having all the successful superhero films and movies. Like, why not bring back one of the ones that they own entirely, you know? So, yeah. And with the popularity of like, uh, what's, what's that like, uh, steampunk that's going on right now, you know, like it, it seems, seems like it's ripe to be brought back right now. Um, yeah. Uh, this episode was, uh, again, written by somebody who I was not too familiar with (laughs) that I was kind of baffled, got the job Earl Pomerantz. Yeah. Um, lots of TV work, nothing I was really too familiar with. And, uh, he also did one other episode of amazing story, but yeah, this story is also credited to Steven Spielberg. So this, uh, Earl Pomerantz, I was looking up his stuff and I'm like, Oh, he wrote two episodes of cheers. And I'm like, wait, that the, the, the years didn't make sense. He wrote two episodes of the Spanish version of cheers. So when they did what? the revival, there was an attempt at doing a Spanish like uh, reboot. It only lasted like a season, but he wrote two Spanish cheers episodes. So good for him. <laughs> yeah i wrote on the cosby show that's great uh, <laughs> <laughs> i mean what can you you know what can you do you know i don't like i mean no i know <laughs> i just I mean, as long as there wasn't any weird jokes in there that you look back in hindsight you know but yeah anyway uh yeah so i again i feel like this is one of those ones where spielberg probably did a lot of the heavy lifting and um and then i don't know someone probably came along at least put it into a format and this makes me take it feels like i'm taking away from these writers but i just I just feel like Spielberg was such a force then that, you know, probably a lot of this was already like formed in his head and he probably just said it aloud and someone has put it into a teleplay. It's probably yeah, it just it, they're so concise. And uh, like I said, like it's it's got Spielberg all over both of these episodes. And yeah. so it, it just seems so hard to believe that there is somebody else writing this. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, but I mean, it's cool. I'm glad uh, Earl Pomerantz, Pomer- I almost said pomegranate. Uh, <laughs> Earl, Earl pomegranate, pomegranate got a job. Yeah. Uh, so yeah. it's cool. Hopefully he did have more input than just uh, writing down what Spielberg was saying out loud. Yeah. I yeah. hope. But who knows? Um, so we'll jump into the cast. There's a lot of people in there. Yeah. Um, 
I, I might kind of just gloss over some. That's fine. I, like you said, I think we're just getting into that. Like Brian James, we could have a whole episode. Yes. Just naming off movies that we love that he's in. So I'm, I'm going to try and do this quickly. But we'll see. Um, one I can do quickly, though, is Tom Harrison, who played Harold. Uh, not familiar with anything else he was in. Yep. And uh, no idea what he looks like. <laughs> he plays a movie the entire episode. So cool. Yep. Does some funny voice stuff in this. Though, yes. so, and his body language is great. So got to give him credit. Uh, and then we have Bronson Pinchot, who plays the director in this. Mm-hmm. Uh, he was in Risky Business, True Romance, Beverly Hills Cop, and did a lot of voice work for um, a lot of like 90s cartoons and stuff. Well, but his biggest role was Balky Bartokamus on Perfect Strangers. That's the he was oh. cousin. He was the, you know, yeah, he was the weird cousin that was, you know, living with cousin Larry Appleton. So that's his biggest known uh, fa- like claim to fame. Also, uh, he was in the the uh, made for TV Langoliers playing Craig Toomey. He was the psychopath, and that it was great. And I'm just gonna bring up the title of something he was in. It was 2013 <laughs> called. You know what I'm talking about here? I'm gonna mention. Yeah, it, it was the next thing on my list. Yeah. Kung Fu and Titties is the name of the thing he was in. I don't know what this is. Either it's amazing or terrible. Either way, I might watch it. because yeah, of the Kung the, Fu. This looks bad. <laughs> I don't know. I'm just going to go on a limb and say this is going to be terrible, yeah. but uh, yeah, it exists. So yeah. cool. <laughs> uh, the next up, we have Brian James uh, that we just discussed. It plays Willie Joe. I mean, everybody knows Brian James as soon as he pops on screen. Uh, Blade Reckon, Runner, very Tango yeah. Cash. What was that? Uh, very recognizable. Like this guy, like you, you, he's just one of those guys. Like I know that face. You may not know the name, but you know his face. Yeah. Uh, Blade Runner, uh, Scanner Cop. Uh, that's his second most famous movie, as far as I'm concerned. <laughs> uh, <laughs> no, he was in 48 Hours, another 48 Hours, uh, Paul Verhoeven's Flesh and Blood. He was in Red Heat with Arnold, Red Scorpion with Dolph Lundgren, Cabin Boy, Fifth Element. Um, also, another one of my weird picks for people's filmography, Blue Sunshine, which is a Jeff Lieberman film hmm. who did the movie Squirm. It's a really cool independent film from the early 70s with... Uh, a bunch of people are randomly becoming psychotic killers, like their hair falls out and they start just murdering everyone in public. And it turns out that it, it's not really a spoiler because they get to it um, pretty quickly in the film. There's a type of LSD that a certain college campus got a hold of um, in the 60s that it was coming back as like flashbacks. Oh, and it was causing people to lose their minds and turn into psychotic killers. Okay. So it was like that kind of like it, that era of kids and stuff like in the 60s are doing all drugs. It was kind of them dealing with the repercussions of doing that and the disillusionment of like that whole hippie era and everything. It's a fantastic film. Hmm. Uh, I, I don't know how easy it is to get a hold of. I I know there was a DVD release because I have like a two disc like sparkly DVD case of it. But I don't know if it's still in print, but I highly recommend people check it out. Um, Jeff Lieberman's a fantastic movie director, really nice guy. Um, so I, I wanted to bring that one up cause okay. it's probably not one that most people t- think of when you think Brian James, I, I I'm not familiar with it. So thank you. That sounds awesome. Yep. Also in uh, Sam Raimi's crime wave, which is pretty hard to get a hold of. Yeah. And, and he was also an episode of silk stockings. I just have to mention just because, you know, talk about sleaze like that. Was- I was, uh, I was watching wrestling not too long ago and um, silk stockings always came on after Monday night raw. (laughs) 
back in the day mm-hmm. and somebody had a sign that said like up next still silk stockings <laughs> in the crowd and it killed me that's awesome <laughs> it was amazing uh but it was like the the font logo and everything like it was it Perfect. was incredible um so next up we have tracy walter who plays ezra um he was a repo man he was in the first tim burton batman conan the destroyer um recently rob zombies 31 a uh, ton of stuff and then uh another one of my weird picks the octagon with chuck norris yeah another one of those guys very recognizable he was also in time rider by the way just uh you're going to see some time rider connections as you go along here uh nice. but yeah he was he was bob the goon and 89's batman which he actually has an action figure so that's how people Sweet. can say they have action figures based on them especially tracy walter not exactly you know you would not think this man would have an action figure but he does so yeah yeah right? <laughs> but he has That's, he has some of my favorite lines in this episode, so we'll we'll talk about that when we get there. Yeah. Uh, next up, we have uh, Larry Harkin, who plays Jubal, who is uh, he's another character actor, just mm-hmm. has a ton of stuff to his credits. I I just kind of gave up at this point because there's <laughs> so much for everybody. Yeah. So uh, I'm just gonna kind of blow through the rest of these. Um, we have Lucy Lee Flippin, who plays the librarian. It's a great name. Um, I wanted to bring her up because she was in Lady in White with. Uh, could have played Brian in the last film. No. Oh. Um, or the last episode. Yeah. Sorry. Uh, <laughs> Lucas Haas, right? That was the kid's name. Yeah. Yeah. Lucas Haas. Uh, she was in that with him. We have William Frank father as the mayor. I almost said Frankenfurter. Uh, he was in <laughs> Harry and the Hendersons. He would hang out with pomegranate. Rocket. That's fine. You know? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Frankfurter and uh, pomegranate. Yeah. It's a great cop movie. Uh, he was also in one episode of the eighties twilight zone. Um, then lastly, I want to put down Arnold Johnson, who plays the town sage. <laughs> uh, he was in Shaft and Menace to Society. Oh, okay, cool. Oh, yeah, you know, I did. I I, I noticed uh, the the Shaft uh, thing because I was like, okay, that's we talk about some of that uh, '70s exploitation. And that's that's cool. Um, I wanted to mention there. You're right. There's a lot of people in here, but there's a guy, uh, Michael Zand, who plays Ra Amenka. Not to spoil the episode, um, he he wrote a lot of Silk Stockings, which I thought was funny. Um, and he actually was the main creator and a producer behind a series that I, the once I saw the name, it rang a bell, but I completely forgot about it called Pacific Blue. You you probably don't remember this, but it was um, no. Bicycle Cops in Santa Monica. And it went on for five seasons. Like it was all about bike cops. I don't know how you have more than three episodes about bike cops, but yeah. Oh, 96. How do I not remember this? This yeah. looks terrible. Yeah. Oh my but God. But look at that font. That font screams nineties, right? So oh my God, it yeah. looks, it, it looks like, it looks like um, an orange juice drink that you would buy. That would be like, you know, <laughs> or a juice drink. Hey, did you get that Pacific blue? I just got purple stuff. You know, it almost looks like the old pack sun logo. Yeah. <laughs> um, so, oh my God. That looks terrible. Yeah. Uh, uh, and also want to mention all the promo shots. I can't uh, hold on. These this, promo shots. Is this your nineties Hawaiian's eye or Hawaiian eye? Is that what this is going to be? Oh my God. There's like pictures of them all standing in a group and like the one guy's doing a wheelie on the bike, like <laughs> with his one foot on the ground and the other guy crouching down below that. Oh my God. Wow. Yeah, five seasons, you know, like they cancel. They're, they're about to cancel Brooklyn nine, nine after five seasons, but they got picked up by NBC for a sixth, but Pacific yeah. blue went five without even blinking an eye. Like what happened? You know? Um, so anyway, I just want to mention I'm that. About to, I know what I'm doing <laughs> this evening. Yes. I'm watching uh, the pilot to Pacific blue. Um, Lynn Lesser was the old grade robber robber in this. Uh, he was uncle Leo on Seinfeld. 
Um, oh, nice. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and then um, let's see here. Uh, Billy Beck, who was the old blind man that you see for a moment. I just want to mention him. He actually had a lot of credits as old man in his IMDb, which I thought was funny. He is actually in an original episode of the Twilight Zone, uh, season four, uh, episode 13, the new exhibit. So there's your Twilight Zone connection. Um, awesome. Eldon Henson, he's the, the the kid at the end that during the mutiny or not the mutiny, the um, whatever we'll talk about it. He yeah. is Foggy Nelson and the Daredevil Netflix series, and he was in the Mighty Ducks, which I've not seen those movies. But like, I was like, crap, that's that kid. So um, he's still, nice. yeah. I thought that was kind of cool. And then um, that's it. There, the the young gray robber is the son of the director, and then the wife that you see at the end is the wife of the director. So uh, Tim Deere getting his entire uh, family involved in this. So <laughs> and and then both those Oliver Deere, Susan Day, or Susan Deere, and yeah, they're both in Time Rider. Surprise, surprise. So, wow. <laughs> well, yeah, I mean, that's cool. They did a good job, though. Like, yeah, I really thought that the the wife, I thought her face like looked like someone I'd seen before. And I realized that she hadn't done anything other than this and a couple other things. She looked like I don't know. She looked like very familiar to me and I was wrong. So uh, but yeah, we'll talk about that when we get there. Um, this has been the thing I've been waiting to talk to you about for two weeks. <laughs> um, I'm, I'm not. Yeah. I'm, I, yeah. I picked this because there is a mummy in it. Like, let's, uh, I just want to explain. Yeah. I, the first one we pick, like you said, because I just, I wasn't too familiar with, uh, the series. So I just kind of want to get an idea. And usually the first episode is the best way to figure out what's going to be going on the entire show. So as I was flipping through, I saw the picture of the mummy and, uh, I'm a sucker for anything with a mummy in it. So sight unseen, like I just, I wanted to do this episode. So I had no idea going in what this was and it ended up being way better than I ever could have imagined it. Considering like all <laughs> the, all the blind picks that you do in your life. Like I, <clears throat> this is me tipping my hand. This is probably my favorite 20 plus minutes of TV I've watched and forever. Like oh, I, wow. I was just entertained throughout like the moment I know it took, it took a couple minutes to get going, but then I, we'll talk about it. Just like, just, just how it kept going. I was just howling the entire time watching this the first time. <laughs> nice. Well, I'll let you lead this one. Okay. Then. So it's, yeah. It's so pumped. Yeah. Um, so it starts off where you see a mummy in the swamp and there's like towns folks about to surround it. And, and then just as you think that there's a big confrontation, you hear someone yell cut, um, and it's the director and you find out it's this movie called mummy's kiss and they're about to, um, break for lunch and they tell the, the person who is in the mummy outfit, his name's, uh, Harold. Um, they say, Hey, you know, it's going to take like a half hour to get you out of the, this makeup and another 45 minutes to get you in this makeup and lunch is only an hour. Can you stay in the suit? And he has a hard time talking, but it's almost like a Kenny South Park level of every so often you hear exactly what he's saying, but he has like this. Yeah, mouthpiece. but nobody can understand him <laughs> yeah. or it's like they're ignoring him. Yeah. Like they, they can hear him kind of protesting like I it, no, like I want to come out of the stuff and eat lunch. And it, you can you can tell that he doesn't want to stay in the costume and they're just like, all right, cool. Thanks, man. <laughs> yeah. And I like that they it's have great. they have splints on his legs, too, to make him kind of walk all like lumbering like a mummy. <laughs> and so he has he has very limited motion with this and he can't really talk very well in this. And it's just and he get they get him and at one point was the director says, Hey, what if I put you in our private trailer for a minute? Which I don't know if you saw in the background as he's talking about the private trailer and like he like the director's talking to Harold in the background, you see a, like a large overweight guy coming out of the trailer and hitching his pants up like he just took like 
a bad bad <laughs> dump in there like it just it was it's like i didn't see that that's really funny i mean this episode's full of that kind of stuff that's going on in the background you know and um, yeah so they get him in the trailer and uh and they sit him down they sit harold down very awkwardly and um and in the meantime the director's kind of talking to him about like hey uh you know he sees a picture of harold with the, the 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 mask off and he's with his wife who's very much pregnant in the picture i think if i remember right and he's like oh your wife's pregnant and he's like trying to figure out like when she's due and eventually through pantomime and charades she's due in two weeks so he's like oh that must be very exciting he uh the director hands harold a soda with a straw that he immediately kind of lose track of so he can't even drink the, the, the soda and they're kind of going back and forth and then um the director also says hey you know that the the story of the mummy around here like is 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 uh, based on a, a story that actually happened, and it goes this whole backstory about how there was um, a gypsy carnival that came through with the mummy of Ra and Ka, and how it you know one night came to life and terrorized the townspeople, and then um, Harold just starts laughing at it, you know. And yeah. The, well, you find out that people still believe that it roams the bogs to this day. Yeah. So you're kind of setting up the episode, and uh, yeah, his his laugh. His response is fantastic. So as he's laughing, though, somebody comes in the trailer and tells him that his wife just went into early labor. So he just he gets up and runs out still in the mummy costume, goes and gets in a car and they're trying to stop him. Like, we'll call you a taxi. Somebody will drive you like and he just he burns out out of there. It's great. So he's driving down the street and uh, all of a sudden his car starts sputtering and it runs out of gas. So uh, this is this is great. This is like perfect fan service in the scene. So he pushes the car to a gas station and the gas attendant that's working there, he's watching a mummy movie on TV (laughs) and uh, he comes to answer the door and he sees the mummy out there and just starts screaming. He keeps like looking back and forth between the TV and seeing the mummy outside. Like he can't believe it. Um, But behind him, there are like, a bunch of horror movie posters. And I love this in like eighties movies where you have other posters. There's mm-hmm. a Halloween three poster. Uh, there's a nightmare poster. There's a death Valley poster, like all these movie, like almost obscure, uh, horror movie posters in the background. It's great. Um, uh, yeah, I love but the- yeah, he's, he's just terrified by him though. I like it. Whenever Harold gets to the gas station first, like it's that cut. There's a cut of him where it shows like the cars are empty. And then he's like, Oh no. And then you see him pushing the car <laughs> into the gas station. And then he goes up and he like, he starts feeling around his like thighs. Cause he's like looking for his wallet. And he realizes he doesn't have a wallet with him, And like, just something about like his, his, um, realizing, well, I'm just going to put gas in this anyway. And he, and to get the attendant's uh, attention, he yells ding, ding real loud, trying to like give him a look at what was going on. And then like, just something about like him, like, walking up to the door and like knocking on it just and then that guy freaking out and then the person in the the move the mummy movie is watching screaming and then he screams and then the mummy screams and then harold screams <laughs> and then it's just like it's just so great and he just he just takes off because it's like what else can you do so he just he fills the car up with gas and just leaves because i mean you know like what can he what can he tell this guy um, yeah. Yeah. So as he, as he's driving, he comes to a, a fork in the road and there's a signpost that's pointing towards, I assume the city that he has to go to. Yeah. And the signpost is just spinning around in the wind. So he doesn't know which way it's coming. So as he's sitting there, there's a truck coming and, uh, it's these two rednecks in the truck and, uh, they see him standing outside of the car 
and one redneck immediately, uh, which I think it's Brian James it that is. yells it, and he's like, he's like, it's raw almond car, <laughs> and uh, it just immediately pulls out the shotgun. I think they try to ram him. They do. They like drive straight into his car, um, and immediately pulls out a shotgun and starts shooting at. Him. <laughs> yeah, like- I don't know why it's so funny to me. Like the legend of a uh, mummy in like the southern swamps. <laughs> Just with a bunch of rednecks chasing down a mummy is so hysterical to me for some reason. Well, I, just, I just like well, that Harold just takes off with this like stutter step, like his like stumbling just runs off because that's all he could do. And he's like freaking out as well. And it, yeah, I just I love because it's like you obviously you get like, you know, the whole legends of the townsfolk are scared. But I just I love that he he wasn't aware of it until like, you know, a half hour before or whatever. And now he's just taken off through the swamp because he doesn't know what else to do. And now these hicks are going to go back to their to their town and have a town meeting where they, they involve the mayor and all the townsfolk. And they, they try to yeah. <laughs> I love it because they're just like it's like that's what happened. And that, that I played that uh, um, dialogue from the game, from the episode where they're um, the, the one guy, the gas station attendants like saying that he he drank all unleaded. And the other one's like talking to me he's like nah he's like i know what it is it's raab and khan and then the whole all the town folks start freaking out like i, I yeah. love it's unfortunate now that i feel like there's a lot of um weirdness when it comes to like southern mentality uh because a lot of it's now like it's it's not there there's a lot of misplaced anger at times but there's something about a small town getting riled up about a mummy that's still it's still funny to me, even though it's a town that's about, about to become a mob. It's very entertaining. Yeah, yeah. But I mean, it has a lot to say because there's the librarian character during this. Yeah. Um, but I, I do want to laugh at how they're, as they're exaggerating the stories, they talk about like stop the hens stopped laying eggs and the cow's milk went dry and everything. And then the one guy's like, yeah, and I've taken back to the bottle. <laughs> yeah. And the one guy's like, You've been drunk this whole time. He's like, oh, yeah. <laughs> no, he was like, he's like, I've taken to the bottle. He's like, you've, you've been drunk. He's like, yeah, because I used to drink out of cans. Like, yeah. like, <laughs> <laughs> so dumb. I love it. Yeah. Um, but yeah, as, as they're talking, though, there's the town sage that uh, he has a whole line. He like stops everyone. He's like, yeah, this happened back in 26. And the uh, same thing happened. The only answer was to just pack everything up. And move away. <laughs> it's great. And then um, the librarian's like, if everybody just stops for a moment and think, and there's this pause. And everybody's yeah, like, she's yeah, like it could be harmless. Like, I can't believe what you guys are saying. Like, we don't even know what this thing is. Just take a second and think about what you're about to do. And then, yeah, there's this long pause. And then Brian James is like, let's get him. <laughs> Everyone just freaks out and runs out. It's fantastic. Yeah. Um, oh so, my God. Yeah, so we find Harold uh, wandering the swamp and then he sees like a light through like like this ramshackle door or whatever. And he's trying to you know get some help. And um, and then he, he actually is taken in by this blind man, which very reminds me of like Frankenstein, you know, like the whole. Yeah. 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 Well, this is definitely inspired by the I, I mean, all the universal yeah. monsters and everything with the townsfolk and the torches and everything. Yeah. Um, but with a little bit of. uh little social undertones going on there. Yeah, a little bit. <laughs> yeah, um, well, I shouldn't say a little bit. I mean, totally. Well, I like that. Um, I like that Willie James's proof that the mummy's real is that he has a hole in his truck from when he shot through it. He mentions that. He's like, yeah, he's yeah, like, it's like, real. I got, I got a hole. <laughs> yeah. The holes from my shotgun in the car. Um, um, but yeah, I, I love the blind man's hut in the woods. It's got yeah. like the dinosaur on top of it and yeah. everything. Cause why not? The, the pile um, of phones for no reason. I, the, very yeah, just, weird. A, just a ball of phones yeah. all tangled up. <laughs> 
<laughs> it's great. So yeah, so um, the blind man offers him some tea. He's like, oh, you must be cold or whatever. And, you know, and so. <laughs> I was really expecting him to spill the tea on him. Yeah, me too. Because he was kind of like shaking it and coming over towards him. I was like, oh man, he's just going to spill tea all like hot tea all over him in the costume. (laughs) But no, he, so as he hands him the tea, he feels his hand and he realizes that he's dealing with a mummy. And this was kind of confusing to me because he freaks out. He says like Rom and Ka freaks out and he stumbles into a back room where he has the sarcophagus of Ra Amon Ka. So I was kind of confused why he was so scared when he knows where the real mummy is. So well, I th- I think or he maybe he thought that he yeah. was out or something. That's what I think because he reaches up okay. to a medallion he has around his neck that has it looks like a pharaoh's yeah. eye or something, and he's like, "Oh, Ra!" And he goes back to the sarcophagus. I think he goes to open it to see because he thinks that Ram and Ka's out, but then inadvertently he releases the real Ram and Ka. Which, yeah, but uh, yeah. why Why does he have that? <laughs> He's so terrified of it. Yeah, why that, is he that, keeping it in his hut? Yeah, I don't know. I think it's the <laughs> same family that builds houses where road, like where ghost trains go through. So, um, <laughs> But yeah, so I, I like that at this point, the, there's a significant difference in the makeup of the real mummy and Harold. And I like that they took the time to show the difference between the two. Like he is menacing looking while Harold, you know, I mean, he looks like a mummy. He looks, you know, he still looks very, you know, appropriate, but Ra Makai has a constant scowl on his face. And I like that. Yeah, he's got angry eyebrows like yeah. built into his costume. Yeah. Whereas uh uh Harold the mummy, he his expression is almost like shocked the entire time. <laughs> like he has these big eyes yeah. and his mouth's just always kind of open. <laughs> so yeah. it's it's a great uh it's a great difference between the two, like you said. But yeah, he just looks like shocked and then just like like he can't believe this is happening to him the whole time. Yeah, and I, and I can't, <laughs> I can't oversell the constant like comments he's making. Like just he's constantly kind of talking, and like you know half the time you understand him, but every time it's funny through this yeah, whole thing. Yeah, there's these little dumb one-liners. In yeah. any other story, this would be stuff that would drive me crazy. But just the tone of this episode, <laughs> uh, it works so well with it. Yeah. So he he takes off because he's terrified of the actual mummy. And, um, oh, this gets, it's been a little bit since I've seen this, but I know as he yeah. runs out, um, but the, well, the, the, the mob find, uh, they find the car again. Right. And they, yeah. Make, and, and they're kind of having a discussion. I yeah. love this where they're like, the one guy's kind of scared and he's like, yeah, you know, me and the other townsfolk we're uh, we're thinking about just maybe going home and thinking about this for a while. Cause <laughs> we don't really know how to kill a mummy. <laughs> So Brian James is like, uh, he's like, well, I'll put a stake through its heart. And some guy keeps popping up. He's like, yeah, that's, that's how you kill Dracula's. <laughs> and then he's like, well, we'll, we'll burn him. And he pops back up. Like that's for Frankenstein. It's like, well, hell I'll just shoot him with a silver bullet. And he comes up like that's for werewolves. He's like, all right, well maybe I don't know how to kill a mummy then. <laughs> yeah. I like that. But that whole scene with the guy popping up in the background, like, nope. Nope. <laughs> really funny. Um, I like that one of them points out that the car has all-state plates. They're like, well, it's like, I don't think your mommy's from around here. <laughs> like, <laughs> and then how, yeah, like how they say, you know, mommy's, well, that's a special kind of critter. Like, and they're just talking all about it. I just love that whole exchange. And then um, Brian James as well, Willie Joe is like, well, you know, he's like, well, then I want to, I want to do some experimenting, which I have no idea what that means. And, yeah, um, and his buddy's like, okay, let's go do that. So then, I, then Harold goes um, running through the swamp and he finds a graveyard 
which yeah. I was pumped. Yeah. I was so excited at this point. Which I actually wrote down. The, I tried to write down the pronunciation that he said. He said, oh, no, Guaveyard. Like, he just, it was, like, very, like, you know, like, he sees. Well, somebody with, like, fake dentures in their mouth, yeah, for, like, for a costume. <laughs> That's what it sounds like. Yeah, it's it was great. great. And he goes and um, he, uh, as he's going through, he finds that there's two grave robbers that are, well, he actually, he sees them and then he sits down on the ground and tries to mimic, like, one of the other, like, headstone statues. Like, very stupid physical comedy. He's, like, just trying to stay still while they still well, you you forgot about the kung fu scene between well, the two mummies is that oh yeah i'm sorry that happens yeah, first so i'm Ram sorry and yeah. Ka follows him into the cemetery yeah and uh harold decides that he's gonna try and <laughs> do some yeah. like kung fu moves on him but he ends up like spin kicking him into a grave yes that's right so i mean this come on like two mummies doing like spin kicks at each other in a graveyard with a bunch of fog. I love that like he this, did he oh. did the kung fu noises with his mouth as he's trying to do the hand the hand poses. And somehow it's so him, dumb, but him, it works so well in this episode. Him, him putting his fingers up one, two, three, four, like they're like weapons. Like it's like yeah. showing the other mummy <laughs> and that he's just making like the mouth noises as he's swinging around doing the kung fu stuff is like so stupid but so wonderful. Yeah, right. And then he spin kicks the Amicon to the open grave. Like Yeah, that so that's when the grave robbers yes. show up. So Harold kind of hides, but the grave robbers find this open grave and they're like, oh, perfect. And the one drops his flashlight in and you get really cartoonish uh, a moment where Ramanka gives him the uh, flashlight back and he's like, oh, thanks. <laughs> and then there's this pause and then they scream and run away and yeah. everything. But it was like a Scooby-Doo moment. Yes. Um, this this whole episode is like a Scooby-Doo moment. <laughs> Yeah, I love it. Uh, then it cuts um, back to the director and like a producer calling the hospitals, trying to figure out where Harold is. And there's a lot of stupid wordplay, but I like the the line of "We're looking for a mummy." The it's just the name of Harold, and they're like, they hung up on me. Like, <laughs> 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 oh yeah. So then um, Harold yeah. Harold finds a bike from the grave robbers, right? That's what he gets on that. Yeah, um, he finds a motorcycle, and we get a little car chase between him and the villagers, and they finally catch up to him and cut him off, and. He's he's trying to explain to them, but they either are ignoring him or can't understand him as usual. <laughs> and it turns out that they're going to lynch him. Yeah. Which it's like, oh man, well, I guess that's what this episode's trying to say. <laughs> um. So yeah, and uh, it, it, there's a there's a moment where he said, "You can't hang me. I'm from New York." <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, he's trying to talk to all of them. Oh, it's, yeah. um, I, he's trying to explain, like, no, 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 I'm not Ron McCod. The real mummy is out there, and they cut behind them. You see Ron McCod just like stumble by, like holding the flashlight, like, still holding the flashlight, <laughs> still trying to figure out how to work. <laughs> It was such a wonderful cut of this him bobbling with this flashlight wandering around the woods. I, th- I thought that was great. Um, yeah. Uh, so, yeah, all the townsfolk, they're about to do this. And then that's where the librarian shows back up. And um, and she, she's trying to appeal to their, their better nature, right? And uh, and um, and then they bring the kid in that, like, he's like, well, maybe this is maybe maybe this is a good mummy. And then you hear Harold going, yeah, this kid knows who's talking about. He's a pretty smart kid. Yeah. <laughs> there could be good mummies and there could be bad mummies. Maybe you're a good mummy. mummy. And he's like, yes, yeah, yeah, that's me. I'm good. I'm good. And he's like, but he could be a bad mummy. And he's like, no, 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 no. I'm good. I'm good. And then he's like, let's hang him. <laughs> the whole town's like freak out again. <laughs> Harold's just like, stupid kid, bunch of rednecks. Like He's just yelling at him. <laughs> It's so good though. Oh. The the turn with that kid yeah. uh killed me. Um 
but yeah, and as they're about to do it, the horse takes off and he just slips right out of the noose. Um, and he ends up riding the horse all the way to the hospital, which, uh, the picture of uh, a mummy riding a horse and, uh, is just, Oh, man, there's so many goofy things in this episode. Well, then he ties but, uh, the horse off. It was worth walker. 25 uh, minutes just to see a mummy riding on a horse. Yeah. Um, but then the old lady outside the hospital in the walker, he goes up and ties the horse off on the walker like it's a hitching post. And he runs into the hospital. And the look yeah. the old lady's giving the horse is so stupid, yeah. but it's wonderful. Yeah. And then, and then more Scooby-Doo moments. He starts checking every room for his wife. Yeah. And because uh, the receptionist isn't there and he keeps opening doors and people will scream. And then finally, uh, security or off-duty police officer comes out and tries to kick him out of the hotel at gunpoint, which was uh, pretty ridiculous. Uh, but as he... As he's trying to kick him out, the mob is outside the doors now, and he's like, I can't go out there. <laughs> yeah. And as he's backing up, he runs into his wife with the newborn baby. And um, so and that, that's really all we get with Harold at that point. Yeah. Well, like the, the, the townsfolk are like, oh, well, that mommy's a daddy. And then one of them was like, well, you know what they say? And then he just he just pauses there. He looks at him. He's like. You're never too old. Like it was such a like, <laughs> what was going on? And they just kind of let uh, it be. And while the real Rama Amenka was found by the the film production people, and they go to they they just keep filming with him. And then, which by the way, that's one thing that bothers me. It's like they broke for lunch, and then they just shot like one more scene, and then suddenly the movie's wrapped up. Like I feel like they could have done that last scene and been done with the whole thing. But they 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 shoot him. And the director's like, oh, like you brought some great energy. I don't know what's going on with your look, but I like it. And then they put they put a cigar in his mouth because like congratulations <laughs> on being a dad. And then they start to unravel the head uh, the head wrap of the mummy, and it just kind of like the the final shots of his angry face because people don't even know what's about to happen. And I love that ending. Yeah, yeah, that's yeah. it. Yeah, like this episode is so much fun. It's too much fun. <laughs> like. <Yeah. laughs> I just there's just so many things like also when he's riding the motorcycle and he just drives it into the swamp for no reason I don't understand why that happened and then when the townsfolk find him there he first tries to intimidate them by scaring them and they all pull their guns and he's like okay I give up I give up I give up like it was just very like I don't understand like there's so many this thing just doesn't stop and it's funny through the entire thing like it is yeah it's a delight it, it shouldn't be as funny as it is because like <laughs> talking about it everything sounds so dumb <laughs> yeah but it plays so well in the episode it's it's the only word I can use is delightful. Yes. I think it was your wife that uh, when we were out last weekend used that term. And it's it's perfect for this because it's just it's such a delightful episode. It's just so much fun to watch. Um, I'm probably going to watch it again tonight with my wife just because I want uh, I want her to see this. Um, <laughs> I feel like this is going to end up in my like if, if I have a Halloween rotation, this is going to go in there because I feel like. This, oh, yeah it's just it's so much fun it's a it's a, a nice tight 20 minutes and i just and i'm surprised like like for this the, for the gentleman who played you know, for harold for tom harrison that he only did seven things i mean I, I guess maybe his acting isn't the greatest but his physical acting was amazing and his line delivery as garbled as it was like he picked and choosed what you could understand and it was it was great like i yeah i just i was i i love this episode yeah, like I said, I just like I want to go back to Halloween weekend, nineteen eighty-five, and just have like a a bowl of like Count Chocula and watch this damn movie or this episode. I keep saying movie with these because they feel like movies. Yeah, uh, the scope is so big on both of these, um, but I just want to like sit down with a bowl of cereal and watch these <laughs> on Halloween weekend. Yeah, like, it's it's so good. It's so funny. 
Yeah, and we talk about like and, and to tie this back to Twilight Zone a little bit that there are some times where the comedy there doesn't work, and we we explain why. But I don't know why this one. I like for for a director that's kind of nondescript, um, in, in some ways, and then for a writer, well, I mean Spielberg, but like there's just like this shouldn't be successful, but it is. And I think also the actors involved knew what, what kind of thing they were in for, like this B movie, like, you know, angry mob reactions. And like Brian James leans so hard into Willie Joe. Um, yeah. it's, it's great. Like he knows, he knows the character he's playing. And then Ezra, uh, he was like, you know, the gas station tenant. And he was the one that kept popping up and saying, that's not how you kill a, a mummy. That's how you kill a Dracula. Like his. Yeah. Yeah. He, I, oh, I didn't, I didn't realize that was him again. The gas station. And that that's, that's even better. Yeah. Um, and just everybody, just everybody plays their, their, their parts so well. And I don't know, like just everything, yeah. like for picking I, an episode, just because it had a mummy in it, we, you couldn't have done any better. Like this was just, <laughs> well, know. I wish I could take credit, uh, for knowing that this episode was fantastic. Well, but, I, um, I'm glad that we didn't like that's even, yeah. like, this was such a, like such a surprise watch to me. Like I already knew about ghost train cause I remember seeing it and there's a few other episodes I'd seen. I'd never seen this one before. And I'm glad I went in blind because I like I don't think it would have tickled me as much knowing that this was a straight up comedy, you know, like because yeah. even the description that, could be kind of you know horrific that this guy's mistaken for a mummy, right? Like, yeah, yeah, I had no idea that it was going to be a comedy. <laughs> um, but yeah, I, I think it all comes down to the timing, like you said. Like everyone is spot on with their comedic timing in this. Like the right amount of pauses from like the posse. It, in multiple times in this episode with like the kid and then when they're in the town hall meeting and everything like everyone's timing with that brian james his reactions and everything are perfect mm-hmm. uh it's it's i i think i gotta give the uh mvp to the actors in this for pulling off the comedy yeah uh, it, but it's a solid little teleplay like you yeah. get quite a bit and you get just enough from every character to know and there's enough shorthand with the with the mob and everything that you know exactly who everyone is in this episode, and uh, it's 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 great, and they, they nail the look too. Like mm-hmm. the look of this episode is amazing. Like it, if you put this in black and white, like the cemetery scenes would look like it was straight out of the Wolfman or something. Yeah, you know, like it's it they it's perfect, and I love all the makeup on both of the mummies too. Like we talked about the facial expressions on it, but the makeup is amazing. Yeah, and. Uh, uh, it, it like it, the bandages look fantastic. They look frayed enough. Somebody even makes a comment about the bandages. I think it's uh, well, I think it's at the end when they're dealing with the real Ram. Yeah, that's when the director, the director was director like, "I don't know what you did, like, but I like I like the change." Like he's like, "I don't know what you did here." Like he directly talks about the way it looks because like because he's even his wrapping is a different like orientation than um, yeah, it's than a little Harold. bit more decorative yeah. than uh, what Harold's looked like. I mean, they both look just gross too. like their faces and everything. They looked like corpses. And it, it, you know, this really reminded me of like stuff in Tales from the Crypt. Mm -hmm. Um, Yeah. The makeup job. And I don't know. I got to I got to look up who did the makeup in this. It may have been somebody. um, Yeah, I didn't look that up. But you're right. Like the production quality of this reminds you like the intent is so lighthearted. You wouldn't think Tales from the Crypt, but everything else about it looks like it would be, you know, like I I agree with that. So the makeup was uh, done by Greg Canham who looks like he won an Oscar for something. I can't figure out. I'm trying to see what other like horror stuff he may, he may have done. Um, Oh, he did the incredible melting man. He was an assistant on the makeup without warning. Uh, the howling. Oh, he did some effects. He wasn't lead, uh, 
effects, but he did Dreamscape. He was special makeup. Uh, Vamp. That's Lost Boys. He did prosthetic stuff. Nice. Oh, that makes sense with the eyebrows now. Okay. Um, Nightmare on Elm Street 3, Dream Warriors. Um, yeah, so this guy worked on a lot. Cyborg, the Van Damme movie. Yeah, he worked on Tales from the Crypt. Oh, there you go. He did uh, All Through the House. Um, I wonder if he did the one I'm thinking of. Dead Right. Is this the one? No, this is not the one. I was thinking there's one with like uh, the voodoo. There's like, they're in like New Orleans or something. Hmm. Um, or maybe they're in Haiti and they're building like a hotel and something. But there's the one uh, girlfriend who comes back from the dead. And the makeup re- kind of reminded me of that. And I don't think it's dead right. But yeah, he did do special effects on four episodes of Tales from the Crypt. So that's a good poll then. Yeah, good call. Yeah. Um, yeah. And just I also want to mention too, we, we forgot to talk like during the initial whenever Harold's in the trailer here in the story about the mummy, he makes his teeth sound like they're chattering before he laughs. That's a really yeah. good, good moment. And then the bit, whenever the car's running out of gas, you just hear him and his muffled like mouth saying, go car, go. And he's just trying to drive it. And it's yeah. like, there's just so many brief little things that just come out of his mouth. Like, you know, like whenever he first sees the mob, he's like, oh, hey, everybody help me. It's good to see him. Glad you're stopping. <laughs> and, then, and then the next time he sees the mob in the trucks with all the torches, he thinks it's the production crew. And he's like, oh, it's the film crew. And he just realizes it's not. And he just goes running away. Like so many good, just like small reactions that just keep me. Yeah. Just, I just, it, it, yeah. And like I mentioned, the like you can't hang me. I'm from New York <laughs> with the muffled uh, <laughs> voice. Yeah. yeah, it's so good. Uh, oh, but yeah, good, good, good. Random pick. This was uh, this is the cure for what ails me for some of these things that we watch that aren't uh, you know, like this was just a delight. Like, and yeah, I, it was and, just, yeah. it was fun to finally talk about a good comedic episode of something, <laughs> um, and actually laugh about it. So. Mm. That was nice. Yeah, so that was fun. But All yeah, right. not not too deep of an episode. I mean, you can you can deal with people's, uh, um, yeah, you know, people are too quick to judge and everything, and the whole uh, yeah. social issues down south and everything, and racial issues. You could you could draw those conclusions, but um, it, it's pretty lighthearted, pretty simple, and everything. Yeah, uh, it's it's really fun to watch. I highly recommend checking this out. Yeah, it's free. Like, go go get the NBC app or go to NBC.com and watch Mummy Daddy. Like, I mean, you know, free is a good price, right? So, and, yeah. and it's 24 minutes long, I think. So you 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 could do worse for 24 minutes. You know, like I just. And if you haven't watched it by now, I hope we like. I, I hope I'm sure we ruined it for you, but still, it's still our our talking about it doesn't undersell just the pure ridiculousness of it and a lot of the jokes. So. Yeah. yeah, hope you guys watch it so you could laugh along with us because yeah. it's <laughs> it's so much fun thinking back to this episode. And I like I said, I'm probably going to watch it tonight. I think uh, I think I'm going to rewatch it for the third time now. Nice, perfect. All right, so I think that's going to do it for our our brief foray into Amazing Stories, which I kind of maybe want to come back to this series. So I feel like there's some good here. Um, yeah, I am absolutely down to do that. Yeah. So, <laughs> all right, so Kevin, how can people get a hold of us? Uh, you can find us on Facebook and Instagram at Strange Highways Podcast. Join the conversation on there. We'll be getting some uh, action on the Instagram page. So thank you guys for following on there and uh, liking the posts and everything. And let us know if there's anything you want us to do on the Instagram. If you want to want me to go live occasionally or something, I don't know. I don't. I don't know what you guys want, but. <laughs> uh, <laughs> Because I've been just mostly reposting stills from the Facebook and everything and uh, trying to think of something different to do on the Instagram, but I don't know. So let us know what you guys want us to do on there. Um, you can email us at strangehighwayspodcast at gmail.com. Leave us voicemails or emails there. 
Um, you could subscribe to us on iTunes, Stitcher Radio, Satchel, uh, Google Play, Podbean, pretty much anywhere you can find uh, podcasts. We are there. And it would really help us out if you would rate and review us, especially on uh, iTunes, because it seems like that's where most people are getting us from. So um, if you're listening to us, you're enjoying the show, please go on there, drop a five-star rating, um, get the show out there a little bit more. Yeah, absolutely. So so next week, we're still uh, we're going to do Twilight Zone, but not what you think. Uh, so while I was doing research for this, and we found one of the, the one of the uncredited parts in Ghost Train, the, the young lady, not young lady, she was older lady at this time. She, um, I forgot her name now because I brought it, have this notes here uh, for me. Priscilla Pointer. Priscilla Pointer. Yeah. She, the lady on the train. Yeah, she was also uncredited in something called Rod Serling's Lost Classics, which was a made-for-TV special in 1994. I think it was on CBS because they're the ones that own the right so that would make sense to me um it was a two-hour thing that's two stories that were unproduced rod sterling stories uh that are hosted it's it's narrated by like the in the part of the narrator like the rod sterling it's james earl jones who does the bookends and um one was a story idea that was unfinished that the teleplay was written by Richard Matheson. And then the second one was an unproduced uh, screenplay that um, both of these were located supposedly in a trunk in the attic of uh, Rod Serling's house that his wife found. So <laughs> we're going to watch that. It's, it's free on Amazon prime. So it's not on Netflix or Hulu. Uh, but yeah, it's Rod Serling's lost classics. Um, I, I've watched it. I'm not going to tip my hat. We'll have plenty of things to talk about uh, next time, but I'm excited for Kevin for, especially for the second episode of it or second part, because it has Jack Palance in it. So we get to talk about some Jack Palance. Um, Very yeah. nice. So Rod it can't Ser- be worse than encounters with the unknown. So we'll, we'll see. I'm looking we'll forward to talk about it. Oh, we'll see. Oh, great. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so yeah. So next time it's going to be Rod Serling's lost classics. Maybe they need to stay lost forever. We'll find out then until then I've had a blast talking about amazing stories and then all the other movies we talked about before amazing stories for we, you know, and all that stuff. So it was a good episode. I had a lot of fun. Yeah, it was great. And uh, please people go, go watch these episodes. Please. If you haven't, I really yeah. hope you did before you listen to this, but, um, uh, I'm definitely going to watch more of the show. This is a perfect like rainy Saturday morning TV show. Like I said, grab a bowl of cereal, pretend you're like 10 years old and uh, enjoy it. It's great. Um, just, it, it's, it's kind of perfect just to turn your brain off, but it doesn't dumb it down. Like I said, it's it's good for the whole family, but it doesn't dumb it down enough that you feel insulted. <laughs> it's, but it's it's a perfect just distraction. You know, it's got that magical Spielberg vibe. And it's just sit down with a bowl of cereal or some popcorn and just dig into it. It's yeah, great. Absolutely. All right, guys. Enjoy your amazing stories. We'll be back next time for Rod Serling's Lost Classics. See you, guys. Ain't nobody running out. Now, wait a minute. We ain't scared, see? But a mummy's a special type of critter, see? It's already been killed once. We'll drive a stake through his heart, okay? That ain't how you kill no mummy. That's how you kill Dracula. Fire, then. They hate fire. Uh Uh-uh. Frankenstein hates fires. Frankenstein. Silver bullet. Werewolf. Werewolf. Okay, 
Maybe I ain't sure how to kill a mummy. 